he said, who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? How am I supposed to know? Well, he knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly where he buried him. And God makes a very interesting point when he said, his blood cries to me from the ground. I want you to know that innocent blood has an audible voice to the ear of God. I know that this life can be a mystery. Sometimes it is hard to understand. But when we stay faithful to Jesus, we're safe in the palm of his hand. For I know watching over me and his love is all that I will need yes I know he is watching over me Some say he was just a good man That his death did not mean anything But I say he's the savior of all men And his praises forever I'll sing For I know he is watching over me And his love is all Yes, I know he is watching over me. Really sloppy guitar playing for some reason, but whatever. Well, someday he's coming back in glory to catch all his children away. And oh, how I want to go with him I'll wait for him every day For I know he is watching over me And his love is all that I will need Yes, I know he is watching over me Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read the first 13 verses of that chapter. Why don't you stand with me, please, as we look into God's Word. And the Bible says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock, of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering 
he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto her strength, that a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Canaan said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning and we continue to talk about the thief and how he's trying to destroy our lives and the weapons that he uses. We also talk about as soon as we can, as Spurgeon said, in your message, get to Jesus Christ as soon as possible. And Lord, you are the difference maker in our life. You are our Lord and our God. You are our Savior, our friend. You are the reason why troubles in life are doable because you are with us and you give us ability that is greater than we ourselves possess. And as we talk about our enemy this morning, help us never to forget that you have already overcome him. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We do not live in fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. So help us to understand your word this morning and get something from it to apply to our lives daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been talking about John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. And Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. If the thief is coming, then he has a plan. I want you to know as you've decided to walk with Jesus this year in 2024 that Satan wants very much to disrupt your journey, to steal your joy, your faith and trust, your peace and joy, your future and hope are the things that he's after. He wants you to live in depression and anxiety. He wants you to think that there's no purpose in going on. He wants to sap your will out of you. And life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a long run, and obviously we certainly encounter good days and bad days. If you're in God's house this morning at 1031, this is a good day, amen? Yeah. It's a good place to be. Mark mentioned was gone last week, is away, and, uh, and he said to me, you know, he says, I miss this place when I'm gone, and I can so relate to that. There's nothing like home. This church is our home, and I, I hope you can relate to that. And there's no place like home, and there's no place like worshiping with your church family. So I, it, it, in the process of time, as we go through life, we've already talked about the things that he wants to steal from us. The Bible says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill. We are in the kill segment of that verse this morning in John 10.10. 10. His next move, if he can't steal something from you, or maybe he did steal something from you, but let me tell you something, he's never satisfied, he's never done. The enemy never is content with what they've gotten from you. They're always looking for more. They will come back again and again and again. 
We see it so many times in life where things that we stand for, we lose. I don't want to be political this morning, but that politics is so illustrative of life. And many in, in, in our own state, in the state of Maine, they decided that gay marriage would be okay because they had pounded that drum for so long. Finally, they got the votes to pass gay marriage in Maine. But it didn't stop there. Don't ever think, well, they are. Now they're happy. No, they don't have a happy bone in their body. Satan does not have a happy bone in his body. If he's stolen from you, he's not happy. He wants more. The next thing he's after is death. He wants to kill you. Obviously, we're reminded that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said, Year of your father the devil, and the lust of your father will you do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Say that with me. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now, that's an interesting statement. We know that Satan is a liar, and he's a thief, and he's a, but he was a murderer from the beginning. Well, when did that take place? Well, there are several things that, obviously, that is, that is a point that scholars will debate, just exactly what Jesus was referring to or what he meant. But obviously, you're here this morning at the Cornerstone Baptist Church, and I am the pastor. And I have all the answers you'll ever need, so I can tell you exactly what Jesus meant. And obviously, if you're not laughing, then I apologize. So, number one, obviously, he is a mass murderer. And I say that because we won't revisit it, but in Genesis chapter 3, when he went into the garden, you know, in this church, we've been to Genesis 3 many, many, many times, and we will again. But in Genesis chapter 3, he goes in and he tempts Eve, and he tells her that oh, God is holding all good things back from you, that you can't really live if you're a follower of God, that real life is apart from God, and the whole lie that he is still telling today. Life is not apart from God. You don't start living until you meet Christ. You don't start enjoying life until you walk with the Lord. Satan hates that philosophy, so he tells Eve, no, no, you're, he's holding good things back from you. He lied to her. He said, you're going to be able to know good and evil. You really want to know those things. And he also told her that Eve said, we've been warned if you eat the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. We know this to be true, Eve said. And Satan looked right at her and said, you will not surely die. When he lied to Adam and Eve... He knew the truth of what will happen. He knew when they ate of that fruit, they absolutely would die. Not only they would die, anyone that ever came after them would die. Every death that has ever taken place at the start of creation in the Garden of Eden to 2024, to this day right now, every death that has ever taken place in any sort whatsoever can all be laid right at the feet of Satan for lying to Adam and Eve. He's a mass murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's the one that started it. For all those times that you get upset at the Lord the way life goes, or when life is taken too soon, or all the tragic stories that we see in the sinful world, it's, it, it leaves us as Christians at times speechless. We don't know what to say. But I'll tell you who to blame. And it's not God Almighty, it's Satan himself for lying 
in making sure that misery and sin and death and dying came into the world. Don't you get mad at God. You get mad at Satan. You hate him. He's the one that deserves your angst for all that has gone on. He was a murderer from the beginning. Number one, he's a mass murderer. Romans 5, 12, verse 4 is why one man sinned into the world and death by sin. Obviously, Adam chose, but the death can be blamed on Satan himself. Number two, he's a motivator of murder. He's a mass murderer and he motivates it. When investigating a crime, they always look for three things. What was the means, the motive, and the method? In other words, if you ever played the game Clue, that, that board game, and you all get a little piece there, and you all have to deduce from the clues that you're getting, it was Colonel Mustard in the parlor with the pipe wrench. Who had the means and the method and the motive? And they were asking these. Well, I'll tell you, the, the motivator of murder is Satan himself, and let's Look at our text this morning, and we're looking at the story of the first murder recorded in history, and that was when one man killed his very own brother. Now, that's tragic. When you think about uh, the things that, that could be done in the way of murder, could be self-defense, could be, but to kill your very own brother. Dr. Jerry Falwell, I've always been a huge fan of his, and his dad didn't get saved until late in life, and I'm digressing just a little bit, but uh, his dad was always a gun-carrying, if you will, wild, rough guy that people were scared of. And uh, he was saved just a, a, a few weeks before he went home to be with the Lord. But um, in the process of his life, one of the tragic things that happened was in an argument protecting his family, Dr. Falwell's dad shot his own brother and killed him. And that was one of the things that, that he dealt with, and it was one of the things that, that he struggled with. And, and you and I pr can't re probably can't relate to anything like that. But I, I'll, just, I, I'll just very quickly tell you, Dr. Falwell said he wished so much that people had just been forgot about the tough exterior of his father and just pushed by all of that and just presented him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he felt like if he had, maybe he would have gotten saved sooner and his life could have been better. But on his deathbed, realizing that he was dying, someone came in, presented Christ to him, and he sat down and he just spilled his guts on everything he had ever done wrong. He confessed his sins to that. I think it was a Presbyterian minister that was sitting there. And Dr. Falwell said for the rest of his life, and he didn't live a whole lot longer, he said, the change I saw in my dad was unbelievable. He knew he had trusted Christ. Cain killed his brother. Let's look at the story very quickly. We read it in our text. What has happened is it came time to give an offering. Now, what is not shown in this text, but what you need to understand is if you look in, in maybe if, if, you, um, if you've got a Schofield Bible, if you're using a Pew Bible, if you just look across the um, page on chapter 3 and verse 21, and then unto Adam also, talking about what the Lord did. 
And let's look at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Why did he do that? Well, remember, God comes into the garden. He says, Adam, where art thou? And where's Adam? He's hiding. He says, we're hiding, Lord. What are you hiding from? Well, we knew that we were naked and we were ashamed. Who told you you were naked? And obviously their eyes were opened. And so they had made fig leaves to cover themselves up. Now, obviously, that would have been a very poor covering. After the whole debacle goes on, God goes through the story of what's going to happen to them and the curses that would take place and the serpent and all those things. What happens in verse 21? God makes them coats of skins. It's not recorded in it, but we know. We have to deduce that at that point, God was showing them animal sacrifice and the need for shed blood to cover their sins. Now, chapter 4, it's time for the sacrifice. Cain brings his, what he's calling his sacrifice. He's a gardener. He's made these wonderful vegetables and all this stuff. He's so proud of this stuff. This is who I am. Here I am, Lord. I'm coming to the altar, and I am presenting the best of what I have, and you're going to like it. That's not what God asked for. I can remember someone not understanding this text one time felt so bad for Cain that the Lord didn't accept his sacrifice. Oh, don't feel bad for Cain. Cain was coming in defiance. He knew the rules. He knew what was expected. We see it at times in, in, in life. Folks understand what the rules are. Defiance and rioting and out-of-control behavior is on display every day in the news now. They know what the laws are, but they don't like them. They're mad, they're angry, and they're pushing back, and don't you tell me what to do. And it was that angry attitude that came, came, and he said, here I am, I know what's required, but you know what? You're going to take this, and you're going to like it. It's that same attitude of people that you and I have talked to at times that say, God and I, we have a deal. Let me tell you something. The only deal you can make with God is when you repent of your sin and accept his son, Jesus Christ. There is one way. That's the only deal. And don't you think for a second that you can tell God what you're going to do. doesn't work that way. I can remember. My brother Floyd's in heaven now. He died at 57 at cancer. And he was a spitfire. And every now and then, he'd get so full of himself, he decided that he could take dad. Well, that didn't, that was just, that fight was over so quick, so fast. Dad put him down, and, and it was over. And <laughs> me, as a second back, I think, this is a really bad, I, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Well, who do you think you are? That you can sit there and think you've got some deal with a holy God that very clearly told you how it's going to be and you don't want to listen. That's a you problem, pal. Amen. God made a way. One way. So Cain comes with his offering. Obviously, it was rejected. Abel comes with exactly what the Lord asked for. And he put it down. And Abel's offering was accepted. And Cain was furious. And God confronted Cain about it. It doesn't talk about Cain's response. But then, as our text goes on, they're out in the field, probably 
Adam's, uh, Abel's got his sheep. Cain's working the fields. They get into a conversation. There's not a lot of detail. We don't know, but the Bible says that Cain rose up and murdered his brother, Abel, and it sounds like he buried him in the ground. Probably a shallow grave. Going to move on now. Let's just put this behind us. And God calls to Abel. He says, I mean, to Cain, he says, Cain, Cain, where's your brother Abel? Cain says, who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? I want to stop for just a second and let you know something. You are your brother's keeper. We know that very well from what Jesus taught in the Good Samaritan. Cain says, who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? How am I supposed to know? Well, he knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly where he buried him. And God makes a very interesting point when he said, his blood cries to me from the ground. I want you to know that innocent blood has an audible voice to the ear of God. Innocent blood cries out to God and is asking for help. Innocent blood from 60 million aborted babies is crying out to God and it's asking for help. And I'm telling you, it's a scary thing when you contemplate the innocent blood that has been shed in our country. And to this point, I don't see us having paid that debt yet. And I'm t uh, Abraham Lincoln, Kerry brought Lincoln to mind this morning in our announcements. Abraham Lincoln, speaking of the Civil War, said that it's possible that this is America's judgment for slavery in our land. We don't need to pay reparations to black families. The price has been paid for all the soldiers that died so that they could live freely. They ought to be thanking us for that, for what has been done in this country, because America paid an incredible price at that time so people could walk free, and we're still paying that price. And for a little cash to be paid, for someone to be satisfied with their freedom, I got news for you. It's just like Satan. They'll never be satisfied. Now, I know that's tough talk, and I know that's hard to hear, but somebody needs to say that crowd will never be happy. You know what they need? They need a heart change. They need to meet our Savior, Jesus Christ. They need to get saved. Amen. That'll make them happy. And until they do so, there's no amount of cash, there's no amount of stuff, there's no amount of whatever it is that they think that they deserve. You deserve nothing. I deserve nothing. We deserve hell if not for Christ. Anything else is just absolutely ridiculous. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me. And so God tells Cain what's going to happen. And um, Satan is a motivator of murder. The Bible records that I'm new Eve. And this is in reference to the physical union that takes place between a man and a woman. After marriage, as appointed by God. They're blessed with two sons, Cain and Abel. The two couldn't have been more different. Just as Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Ishmael and Isaac, children can grow up under the same roof but be, can be very different. They knew what that was required for sacrifice, what was needed to please God. Rather than be convicted of the lack of obedience, he was angry that Abel was accepted and he was not. 
obviously angry to the point of murder, killing his own brother. I think it's safe to say that Cain had anger issues rooted in selfishness. The life didn't go the way he wanted. and Satan was whispering in his ear, it's not fair. You shouldn't have to. Life is too hard. I can remember hearing someone say, why do bad things always happen to me? Yeah. 1 John 3.12 says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. 1 John 3.12. Number one, that was all introduction. Now you're in trouble, aren't we? I got ten minutes. Number one, Satan is real. He's not fictional. He's not imaginary. What he can convince you to do is nothing like what he tells you. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And of course, the text goes on, whom resists steadfast in the faith. You know, there's something sick about a lion wanting to devour something. And if you've watched nature channels at all or anything, hyenas will hunt down an animal take it down, coyotes won't kill a deer and eat it. They eat a deer and it dies. They'll gnaw the rear quarters right off a deer while it's still kicking. It is hideous. That's what Satan does. Satan wants you to die the most miserable, horrible death that he can possibly come up with. He's real. He's horrible. You get the picture. He's as vicious as a pack of wolves. We've seen instances that take place. Judas betrays the Lord, sells him for the price of a slave, not realizing that death was lurking. He was sorry. Judas gave the money back. They didn't care. Acts 1.16 talks about how Judas ended. Judas was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and his bowels gushed out. Isn't that a nice picture? What happened to Judas? Judas got so upset, he realized what he had done. He couldn't take it back. He lost all hope because he had not Christ. He went out and hung himself, and he hung there long enough until the heat of the day, the rope broke, and he landed on a pile of rocks, and ugh, there it goes. Busted like a water balloon, and his bowels gushed out. Aren't you glad to have that mental picture? You know why it goes to that graphic detail? Because that's how bad sin can end. We want you to see, this is what Satan does. David looked, lusted, laid, lied, tried hard to cover his sins. He'd forgotten the words of Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. It's one of the first verses my mother made me memorize. <laughs> every young boy, every young girl needs to know Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. You can't get away with it. Cain, in a fit of rage, killed his own brother. Buried the body, pretended it didn't happen. 
Cain, how'd you think that was going to go? Look at verse number 13 in your text. And Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. He didn't say my guilt is greater than I can bear. He said my punishment is greater than I can bear. There's no sorrow here, folks. He didn't miss his brother. He was so angry, so full of himself, so selfish. All he was concerned with is this didn't go that well. I don't think I can take this. Could you make this a little bit easier? People are going to want to kill me. And so God put some mark on his head or on his body somewhere that protected him. Number one, Satan is real. Number two, consequences are real. Let me make this statement and don't you miss it. You have a choice. I have a choice. You can accept God or reject him. We are so big on, in the state of Maine, pro-choice. I just want to throw out to you something about abortion. We had this battle for 1619. Hundreds and hundreds of God-fearing people showed up at the Capitol, standing for right, wanting to protect babies. They went on and voted for that thing like we had never showed up. They could care less. I heard of a Democrat that sided with us voted against it. Now they're running an opponent against him to get rid of him because they're mad that a Democrat would not run with the party. That is so disgusting. You don't understand how much Satan wants death. Planned Parenthood is a satanic organization that is absolutely sick. And if you want, you're known by the friends that you keep. If you're wondering about a candidate, find out who supports them, who's behind them, what allegiances they have. Christian, listen to me. People get upset with me of talking about politics. I apologize. I don't like talking about it either. But you know something? We are stewards of this country. We are stewards of this state. We are stewards of this town. We are stewards of this church. Okay? Now, what happens is... The state and the government determine the soil for you and I to throw the seeds into. And if they make it difficult for us to spread the gospel seed, that's on us for not being involved in the process and protecting the soil of the state and of the country that you and I walk on so that we can have the liberty to continue to proclaim the gospel. Because I'll tell you what, they're coming for our freedoms. They're coming for the ability for you and I to do what we do on a regular basis. And you sit back and say, oh, all we're supposed to do is preach the gospel. This is the gospel. America is that shining city on the hill. And when the light goes out in America, there's nowhere else to go. We have to protect what we have. And part of that, of course, the greatest thing is to preach the gospel. But beyond that is to vote to protect what we have in the United States of America, and for us in the state of Maine, it's so important. Don't miss that, folks. Don't think it's not your responsibility. You will stand before God and give an account of what we did with what he trusted us with. Satan laughs. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Consequences of actions are real. Satan is real. Consequences are real. You can choose. You can make your choice, but you cannot choose the consequences of your choice. 
I'll say that one more time. You can make your choice. Whatever you want to do, you go right ahead. God gave you that freedom. But after you've made your choice, you cannot choose the consequences of your choice. A woman will say, well, you know what? I'm going to choose what I'm going to do, whether I'm going to have a baby or not. No, once you made that choice to have that relationship, you're going to have a baby. You have no choice. You're going to choose whether it's a live baby or a dead one. But you're going to have a baby. Now, how horrible is that? You say, Stan, I'm not comfortable with you talking like that. You know what? I'm not either. But that's the reality of what Satan wants to do. He has come to kill. And he wants to take life before it even starts. And we think we have that freedom to do that. No. No, you don't. But you can believe whatever lie you want. Consequences are real. Judas, Cain, David, fill in the blank. They made their choices. God gives us a free will. But God does not let us choose our consequences. God told Cain... Obviously, God dealt with Judas, all of those things. You can say, well, why is it that it happens like that? Well, obviously, let me illustrate it to you very quickly. Let's just say that the famous detective Stan Griffin is captured, and he's brought into this dark warehouse. It's either, if you follow a lot of detective shows, they're either at the, the bad guys are either at the warehouse or down at the docks. It's one of those two places, okay? So they happen to got me and they have me at the warehouse and they're getting ready to torture me. And I can look at them and I'm, I'm, the famous detective Stan Griffin looks at him, do what you will, you can't talk, you'll never break me. I'm too strong, I'm too tough. But then, just at that time I'm saying those to him, and the, the door kicks open, and here comes kicking and screaming, gagged and bound, little Miss Emily. They have her. And I see that. Not, no, no, what are you doing? They said, Griffin, we know you're too strong. We're going to torture little Miss Emily. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. You've seen those crazy things before where the tough guy, but if they get what? So what is this? Satan could care less about Micah Grant, Emily, Al, Stan, George, fill in the blank. You are nothing to him. But what matters to him is he knows that you're something to God. God loves you. He adores you. And let me tell you something. Satan's real. Consequences are real. But redemption is real. And no matter what happens, you know, my Bible says in Psalms, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And Satan has come to kill. And I've got news for you. None of us will get out of here alive. At some point, you have an expiration date stamped on you. And I don't know when that is. Yesterday was Clyde Gray's day. Clyde went home to be with the Lord. And he and Teresa are together again. I'm so happy for Clyde, 82 years old, loved the Lord, loved church. Just when he fought a good fight, his family notified me, and I thought, yes, good for him. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why is that? Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but this life is hard. I'm looking around at people that have been through extremely difficult times. God has sustained you. But if you know Christ, he has redeemed you. And he has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. 
And he is running the governor on you so that, yes, certain things will happen. And someday, death is going to knock at your door. And when it does, if you know Christ, the Lord's going to be excited because he redeemed you. And Satan thinks he's doing a bad thing, but God's saying, you go right ahead and take them. They're coming to me, and all of their problems will be over. Now, you do that on God's terms, not on your terms. If you think you can, well, that sounds like a good deal. I'll just end it now. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Some people say, when I, can, can someone that commits suicide go to heaven? Absolutely, but I believe when they get there, if they know Christ... If you kill yourself, when you get to heaven, you're going to wish you'd gone to hell. Because when you look your Savior in the face, the disappointment that will be looking at you will not be worth the early exit. That's the scary thing. But redemption is real. I want you to know that Satan's got a plan, but Jesus Christ has a better one. And all you have to do is trust him and believe in him. Is this life hard? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But Romans 8, 18 says, For but I reckon that the sufferings of this present world can't be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in him. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. When we get there, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. I think I'll just look at him and fall right on my face and just start bawling. And I hate to cry. But can you imagine how awesome it's going to be to look at our Savior? I'm going to be so nervous. I'm a little nervous when Kevin Grant's here and I'm preaching. But it really doesn't compare. No offense, brother. Can you imagine when you see your Savior what that's going to be like? No, I'm not going to be nervous because I'm, I'm afraid I didn't make it. That's the least of my... I'm going to... How did I do? Was it good enough? Did I please you? Can I go back and try again? Redemption is real. A Savior is waiting. All you have to do is call and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior. And from that point on, you belong to him. Satan watch. <laughs>